Amen. That was a real blessing to uh, hear just voices uh, proclaim the birth of Jesus Christ. It is a, is a great blessing. Thank you for for that display of God's grace. Let's pray as I look to the Word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, this evening we all come together, Lord, during this holiday because you want to celebrate something grand that happened many, many years ago. And yet, Lord, your presence in the world is still famous. And I venture to say that, Lord, you are the most famous person ever. Even in these modern days, your name is still out there. I just pray, Lord, that people would get the right message about who you are and what you've done so they can truly proclaim that to them you are their Savior. Lord, this evening, Lord, just bless us with your presence as we look at your word and as I share this evening, Lord, about the Savior. Help us to think of it and think of you. And understand the things placed upon our heart and our ears. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We read a passage of scripture uh, this, this evening from 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. And it says this, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This is a magnificent passage of Scripture for this reason, that the whole gospel is contained in one phrase, the Savior. I want you to think with me this Christmas Eve about something, some of the essential things this glorious statement conveys concerning the meaning of the term Savior. What does it really mean? Now, I'm not asking you to think of your own understanding of the word even though you may have a proper one many have proposed their own understanding of the word and yet in doing so have emptied the term of its significance some have suggested that savior means merely helper god is is someone who merely assists us through life others have said that the word savior means example or pattern that people are to take Jesus as their example and walk where he walked. If these and others like them are the meaning attached to Jesus as the Savior, then they really fall short and suggest that Jesus is no Savior at all. So what does the Bible say about the term Savior? Now, listen once again to our passage when it says we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Saying it in this way, that there really is no other than this person, Jesus Christ. We immediately hear the Father has sent the Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to do something. In other words, Christ, the Savior, as a result of something He has done... And those who believe in Jesus, 
are saved as a result of something he has accomplished. Apart from ourselves, apart from our own actions, but the Word of God is about what God does and what God says. Now, before I consider about six things that qualify Jesus to be the Savior, I want to relate part of a story that I came across about a man, a man named E.A. Rowell. And the reason why I picked him is for this reason. He was a skeptic when he came to Christ. He was considered and he considered himself an atheist. An atheist is someone who simply says, I don't believe there's a God at all. As opposed to an, an agnostic who says, well, I, there's not enough proof. This man was born in a house of skepticism and atheism. He was bred in it, reared in it, and he studied it. His entire life was given over to atheism and unbelief. Yet in spite of that, listen to some of the things he wrote about Christ. I, f I found it to be absolutely amazing what he said. He said this, I observed the futility, the futile amazement, with futile amazement, that every skeptic from Celsius to Wells stood around the cradle of Christ, skeptics evaluating Christ. And he says, I wondered why this helpless babe was thrust into the world at a time when Roman greed, Jewish hatred, and Greek subtlety would combine to crush him. And yet the most powerful and devastating combination that ever was known in history of these three components coming together, served only to advance the cause of the infant who was born in a stable. I marvel that this poverty-stricken, uneducated plebeian who commanded no army, held no office, received no honors, wrote no books, who died in, in early manhood, the most contemptible of deaths, a malefactor on a cross between two criminals. I marveled that his name is yet the most esteemed name on earth, even among the skeptics themselves. Themselves, even among me. He was saying that about himself. Now, I'm going to get back to his story. But let me share with you six things that qualify Jesus Christ. To bear the title of Savior. Here's the first one. That Jesus is the Savior by his perfect, blameless, spotless life of complete obedience. The Word of God tells us in many places, like in Acts 3.14, he is the holy and righteous one. In other places, in Hebrews 4.15, he says that he's a man yet without sin. That Christ was the only absolutely perfect person. Any other life that you and I would examine, even those that we would consider with high admiration, if we look at them close enough, we're going to discover in a short period of time that all people have feet of clay, right? All people have tremendous amount of flaws and weaknesses, no, no matter, even if they come across as the most perfect person you ever met, but not so Jesus Christ. In fact, if you consider that for a minute, 
Jesus never had to confess sins. He never sinned in one thought, one word, or one deed. The Bible tells us he made him who knew no sin. Jesus also never had to apologize to anyone for anything, ever. He had no reason to. He always responded correctly. Jesus also never, ever sought advice. The reason why is the Bible says that in him all wisdom dwells in bodily form. Also, Jesus never asked for prayer. Now, for those who are maybe a little bit more skilled in Scripture, you would say, well, what about the disciples at Gethsemane? Didn't Jesus ask the apostles, the disciples, to pray for him there? Well, actually, he didn't. Uh, Before he went to the cross, he didn't ask them. He actually, the Scripture says this to the disciples, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. Actually, Jesus said to them, pray for yourselves. He never asked prayer for himself. He didn't have to. And the reason why is because he was perfect, right? The reason why is because he was God. A second thing that qualifies Jesus to bear the name of Savior is that that of Jesus' atoning death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. He lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus Christ has to die. That Jesus trod the winepress of the wrath of God and he did it alone. There was no one to join him, no one to help him. Jesus Christ, the altogether sinless one, became sin and the infinite wrath of the almighty creator of the universe was poured out on him. That's what Jesus did. That qualifies him to be the Savior. The reason why, on the cross, he was doing three things for those who would come to believe in him. The first one is that Jesus is going to save from something. That's why he's a Savior. He comes to rescue us. He comes to save us from something that is so devastating we could never save ourselves no matter what. First thing was that Jesus saves from guilt and the penalty of Sin, our sin, my sin, your sin. We are all guilty before God. The Bible says that all the world may become accountable or guilty before God and before his holy law. Tonight, you, my friend, must be perfectly clear that you are delivered from the guilt of your sin. You cannot save yourself from your own guilt and condemnation. Only Jesus Jesus Christ, the Savior, can remove sin and guilt. He's the only one who could do it. Second thing that Jesus saves from is he saves from the power of sin around me and around you. The Bible says this, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. That means everyone under the power of sin. The world in which we live is against Christ and against his work on the cross. The world in which we live is under the power of the evil one. 
it does not encourage anyone to live for God. It never has, and it never will. So you're not going to get the message out there. You're not going to get the message in places you may think you should get the message. Only in Jesus Christ the Savior can believers be delivered from the power of sin. All because Jesus conquered Satan and defeated the world. A third thing that he saves from is the pollution of sin within us. Sin is not only outside of us and all around us. Sin is in us. It's in our heart. Paul says this, that I know that no good thing dwells in me. He was, of course, that message could make one quite overwhelmed. And in fact, it may bring someone to call themselves a wretched person, which Paul called himself, the Apostle Paul. But he says this, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death, from this indwelling sin? His answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus is the Savior. And it's the message from the Gospel of Matthew where it says, she will bear a son and she shall call his name Jesus and he will what? Save his people from their sin. So it is this man Jesus who is the only one qualified to rescue us from the pollution, from the power from the guilt and the penalty of sin. He's the only one who could do it. No one else could do it. A third thing that qualifies Jesus to bear the title of Savior is this, that he rose from the dead. In Revelation, it says, I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. In fact, it says this, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is the only founder of any religious system of the world that rose from the dead. All other tombs are still occupied by the leaders of those religions. Only the tomb of Jesus is empty. If, if I were able to take a roll call at the cavern of the dead. You may hear something like this. Buddha, I'm here. Confucius, I'm also here. Muhammad, I'm here too. Jesus, Jesus, are you there? Maybe an angel may come around and says and say to that me or whoever was able to do something like that, he is not here. For he has risen, just as he said, Matthew twenty eight, six. He's risen. That qualifies him to be and claim the title of Savior. A fourth thing that qualifies Jesus to bear the title of Savior is this, that, that of his entry into the realm of heaven after his resurrection. He becomes the high priest, the one who intercedes for his children. In fact, in Acts 2, uh, 33, the Bible says, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, that shows his might, his majesty, and his deity. 
He is God. He is coming back again, the Bible tells us. He is qualified to be Savior. A fifth thing that qualifies him is this, that he completely saves. It says in Thessalonians, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Get this. It is because of Jesus that you and me who know Christ as Lord and Savior are going to be able to stand blameless before God. Perfect before God. Completely clean before God. Not based on anything that you and I or you and me have done, but based on everything Jesus had done, right? I can't save. You can't save. Come on. Don't try to even think you can. Or think that somehow you have something inside of you that God favors and that he's going to look over uh, your sins and move them aside because of something he saw in you that was good. There's no good in you. No one's good. Not even one, the Bible tells us. There's a sixth thing, though. Jesus Christ is qualified to be Savior because he finished the work the Father gave him to do. I love this passage of Scripture in John 19.30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus completely in control on the cross. He decided when, exactly when he was going to die. He knew exactly why he was dying. And he knew exactly what he was going to do after the Spirit left his body there on the cross. But he said before that, it is finished. In fact, it means the debt is paid in full. I have paid for all the sins of all the people who are going to believe in me because I rescue them when they, by faith, receive the free grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's that qualifies them. That's only six things. I can keep going, but we don't have time tonight. And you want to get somewhere to get something to eat or visit with family or open gifts. And that's what we do on Christmas Eve, right? Now, just consider this. that, And I, it may grieve you as it does grieve me too. That the world system has brought this holiday of Christmas to pretty much this point glimmering elves, and blinking Santas. Now, come on. What does that have to do with anything? It it has no connection to anything. It just drives me mad, and it may do the same for you too. But remember, this season is that people need Jesus Christ to save them from their sins, and it's just condemnation. Jesus, the Savior, has transformed millions of alcoholics and drug addicts. Vile and profane persons have been made pure in speech and in thought by Jesus Christ. All manner of people have been changed by the amazing, wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. It is like nothing else in this world. The grace of God changes all things You may have experienced 
the grace of God already. And you have experienced the change. You know where you were and where you are now. That's God's grace. And where you're heading to. You know if you died today where you would go. That's God's grace. But maybe, maybe, you're here tonight and considered yourself an agnostic. Or maybe even an atheist. Or possibly you're here and you're thinking this story sounds too much like a fairy tale. I have been a skeptic of all these things most of my life and I'm going to go on to be a skeptic. I'm not going to change now. I don't know where you are tonight. But let me get back to the skeptic E.A. Rowell who all his life disbelieved the Bible and disbelieved in Christ. But later in his life, he came to realize and to acknowledge that Jesus Christ was the greatest person that ever lived. Listen to what he wrote, still as an unbeliever, which brought him, in reading the word of God, to Christ, He says this, no unbeliever could tell me why his words, Christ's words, are as charted with power today as they were 1900 years ago. Nor could scoffers explain to me how those pierced hands pulled human monsters with gnarled souls out of hell, the hell of iniquity, and overnight transformed them into steadfast Glorious heroes who died in torturing flames that others might know the love and the power of Christ who had given them peace in their souls. He goes on to say, nor could any scoffer explain as Jesus himself so daringly foretold why by telephone and by airplane and radio, by rail and horse and foot, his words are piercing the densest forests, scaling the highest mountains, crossing the deepest seas and the widest deserts, making converts of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people on the earth. The life, the words, the character of this strange man, Jesus, were an enigma to me. And he thought that any naturalistic explanation makes him more puzzling. He said a fathomless mystery was Christ to him. But I learned, he said, that the paradox was plain and the mystery solved when I received him for what he claimed to be. Son of God, come from heaven, a savior of men. He said, I learned the thrill of the angel's words. Behold, unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now I have learned the great truth, he said, that through Christ a thousand times in Bethlehem be born. If he's not born in you, your soul is still lost. Here's a conclusion, the conclusion of a skeptic and an atheist, the power of the gospel. 
to reach the most lost soul. When all their life they were studying to not believe it. And God switches it around and all of a sudden you believe it. Now, tonight, as always, I want to leave you with this. That if you have a desire for salvation and you never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know what to do. I advise you to go this very night to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's ready to listen to your prayer. I advise you to go to a private place and earnestly entreat him for the prayer of your own soul. Tell him that you heard that he receives sinners and has said in him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Tell him that you are a poor, vile sinner and that you come to him on the faith of his own invitation. Come unto you, to me, you are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give rest to your souls. Tell him you put yourself wholly and entirely in his hands, that you feel helpless and hopeless in yourself. And many people do feel that way and don't know what to do about it. But Christ is the Savior. And pray also that he accept he save you, that you have no hope of being saved at all because there is no other Savior. And then ask him to deliver you from guilt and the power and the consequences of sin. Ask him to pardon you and to wash you in his own blood and make you fit for God's presence. Ask him to give grace and faith and willpower that his disciple and servant, that you may be his disciple and servant from this day forward and forever. Tell Jesus tonight in your own way and in your own words. Tell him you're a sinner and you need a savior. And if you don't do it tonight, keep these words in your memory. Because there may come a day that you may need to call upon him if you have not as of yet. My friend, don't wait until you feel unworthy. Wait for nothing. J.C. Ryle says, wait for nobody. Waiting comes from the devil. The devil comes to you and says, you have plenty of time. Don't worry about it. Live your life. You're young. Enjoy things. That'll come later when you get old. No, that's a lie. Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow just like I'm not. I don't know what's going to happen tonight. Neither do you. The Lord didn't give anybody that ability. See, I'm saying this, just as you are, go to Christ. The worse you are, the more need you have to apply to him. You will never mend yourself by staying away from Christ. 
There is no drug. There is no counseling session. There's no psychotherapy that's going to help you. Christ. Christ is the answer. One other thing before I close in prayer. My friend, don't be afraid because your prayer is stammering and your words feeble and your language poor. The Lord doesn't need you to be an English major or a major in any language to come before him with nice words. Because most of the time when we see ourselves as unworthy, all that we could do sometimes is groan and moan in our spirit. Jesus can understand you just as a mother can understand her infant. So does the Savior understand sinners in their great need. He can read a sigh. He can see the meaning of a groan. So tonight, if you know the Savior, praise the Lord. Enjoy your life. Live for Christ. But if you don't, come tonight to the one whose office it is to save sinners. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I ask you this evening that as the Spirit of God works and as the Spirit of God has something to say to every single one of us, I pray, Lord, that we would not leave here with the sense of understanding what we must do. If we know you, Lord, to live for you this coming next year more faithfully, more diligently to grow in our knowledge of you. If we don't know you, Lord, I pray tonight that you would bring deep conviction on those who hear. And I pray, Lord, that they would run to a quiet place and they would be honest in their heart before you and that they would ask you to save them genuinely, not because mom or dad said, not because their friend or neighbor said, not even because I said, but because, Lord, you're working on them and you're bringing them to yourself. Oh, I pray, Lord, tonight that all of us someday may together proclaim Jesus Christ as our own Lord and Savior. We praise you, Lord, for all that you'll accomplish through the power of your word and through the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Christ's name.